Restaurant Unstoppable episode 616 with Dan Simpson. I mean, I think the first probably rule of the pivot is you got to check your ego at the door, right? So you have a grand vision and it feels so personal and intimate. You you have uh, the best laid plans. But when, when the data and your experience tells you that you're going the wrong direction, uh, and it's just simply not going to work. You can you can suffer longer, you can suffer in silence, or you can put the suffering to an end and you can adjust. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash Stoppable. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Dan Simpson. My man, Dan, are you feeling unstoppable today? Man, are you kidding me? This is like <laughs> we're in the restaurant business. It's the real food movement time. Uh, healthy food is on fire. Mediterranean business is a great time to be in the restaurant business. Well, I cannot wait to dive into your story. You're not my typical flow. Got into this industry uh, a little bit later, uh, but you're doing really great things. And I love your your background in marketing and innovation and startups. So I feel like this is going to be jam-packed with some incredible advice. I cannot wait to dive into it. So Dan Simpson has been spearheading innovation and business development for startups, for-profit and nonprofit organizations for the past past 20 years. Prior to joining Tzatziki's family, Simpson was the founder and CEO of Two Go Technologies. Simpson would go on to serve as a Tzatziki's franchisee and managing partner at Fresh Hospitality. Simpson became the CEO of Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe in 2018, and previously Simpson served as the restaurant's chief innovation officer. And I should mention, we had Keith Richards on the show, he was the founder of Tzatziki's. That was episode 511. If you want to check out that that episode first, it kind of tells the story of Tzatziki's, uh, the, the, the come up, and we really dive into the values of the organization. But I'm looking at today's conversation as a way to build off of that conversation uh, to get your perspective on technology and innovation and just startups in general. Who knows where we're going to end up? I know it's going to be good, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? All right. Well, my first mentor uh, told me on my first business trip, told me, remember, Dan, whatever business you're in, 
and I ended up being in several. Remember, whatever business you're in, you're always in the people business. And yes. that is incredibly true, right? People, we get to interact people on their highs or their lows, and even just for a minute, minute to lighten their load or brighten their day. Um, so it's amazing to be very people-centered, very people-focused. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And it's so true. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, uh, business is all about relationships. So you've you got to understand people. And I can't think of a better way to get this thing started. So I don't even know where to start with you. Typically, we take a very chronological approach of how you got into the industry, key mentors you had along the way, and how you evolve as a, a restaurateur with over the years, but you have been, you kind of took a very unique path into this industry, which is something I love about this industry is there's so many things you need to be good at. There's so many strengths and assets you can bring to the table that can, that can expedite your, your, your route to a leadership position. And I think you're one of those examples. So where does it make sense to, to get into your story? You, you take a story you think it makes sense. Well, we can, um, let's, let's start here uh, a couple years ago. Um, a conversation with uh, Keith Richards, the founder, um, and the board of directors, and they were coming up on the 20-year anniversary of Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe, right? And so anchored in this tenured business that didn't just survive, but was thriving and growing, they also were wise enough to pause and to look ahead and say, okay, great, where do we want to go for the next 20 years? And just so happened to be when they kind of looked in the mirror and looked around, they said, well, we, we, there's a lot of things we want to keep, keep the heart of the founder, keep the menu intact. Um, but there's some things that either we lost them on the way or they want to add. And we want to, we want to keep the, you know, big hearted foodie part of the brand. We want to add technology. Um, we want to add uh, some more entrepreneurial spirit and some more leadership that can help be a liaison to our growing entrepreneurial franchise brand. Um, and, and bring some new creativity in. Um, and so it just happened to be that you're right. So, uh, a relatively uh, newcomer to the hospitality space, that was me, um, happened to be just a few steps away uh, and, and was brought into the conversation. So maybe from that, we should skip way back to the beginning and, and yeah, actually tell Yeah, but story. before we do go back and to really start the, the origin story, I want to point something out that, you know, I think it was... Albert Einstein that said, don't focus on being a man of success, but focus on being a man of value. I think that you're a great example of that because you became a person of value. You you came up in a vertical where you learned a lot about technology and innovation, and that is something that's lacking in the restaurant industry. So if you can become a person of value and give yourself certain assets and attributions, you can use those things to attract onto yourself those who have reached the top of the ladder in a certain in this example, the restaurant industry, and you can expedite your process of getting to the top. Like you, you can use, don't try to be everything to everybody, you know, become really good at one thing and, and become a person of value. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. So I just wanted to point yeah, that it's out. It's interesting. I was just to add on that. Um, a lot of times when we have interns, they'll ask, well, how would you recommend that I build my resume? And I often say, I recommend that you don't build your resume, be where you are, find out what you're really good at, what you're curious about and double down on that curiosity, exactly. right? And then see where it takes you because so many of the skills we learn across any industry are transferable, mm -hmm. right? And so you're exactly right. That has led me into uh, into a place I didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, you can, this is, this is a, an extreme example, right? But if you are in the restaurant industry, if you're behind the house, uh, focus on one skill, uh, whether that's 
you know, being a baker or whatever, do one thing really well and then use that skill to attract onto yourself opportunities. Uh, so it, it doesn't have to be innovation. Like you said, use your curio- use your curiosity and let the kind of the, the natural laws take over, right? And you you will find your path, and then right. lean into it once you find out whatever that thing is. Awesome stuff. So, um, where does it make sense? Let's go back. Uh, you 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 started in nonprofits in like the I think it was the early two thousands, uh, Nashville. Uh, right. Does it make sense to go all the way that far back, or where do you want to take us? Man, even even a step before that. I mean, I I I grew up in a very small town. Um, in, in rural Maine and going to undergrad rural um, Maine where I got to know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, a little town called Troy. It's in Waldo County. Okay. My parents are actually from Philadelphia. So from the age of seven to 17, we moved to Maine. We built a house, lived, lived the farm life. And that's actually, that's probably my first spark of things that have paid off now down the road of, we had huge gardens. It like doubled every year. Okay. And so the idea of growing your own food and knowing where it comes from, um, and paying attention to seasonality. So to me, like uh, celeb- the idea of celebrity farmers, like it was always been a part of my, my worldview. It's like these people matter. I worked on farms, dairy farms, blueberry picking, other things like that growing up. So to me, being close to the ground is a great place to start if you want to end up in the restaurant business. Okay, I got it. So uh, you go to college. Uh, you What was your, your major in college? I'm curious. Yeah, I was actually um, an uh, my undergrad was my major was uh, pre med biology okay. of all things. Yeah, my mom was a nurse, and so my dad thought this was a great idea. Um, I and then with a, a a minor in theology, trying to figure out uh, both how to how to make a living and figure out the big questions in life. Uh, pretty good start. I was playing in a band in college because um, I need to have some fun, and uh, really ex- figuring out my creativity. I think that was the original spark to learning later on that you can be creative in anything. Uh, if, if your thing is music, you can, you can bring that into your business work and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but that led me into, um, my parents got divorced when I was in college. Um, everything came to a halt, uh, that pushed me into, okay, well now I need to go to college and I got to work full time to pay my way, which turned out to be a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned work ethic and I start, I jumped into some startup companies there, uh, to get my way through college. And I learned, I really like this. Yeah. Um, became the director of marketing, the business development guy, though I had no classes. Notice I didn't say anything about marketing or business in my, my undergrad. <laughs> right. um, but that led me to a series of a couple different healthcare startups. It just happened to be healthcare because um, that was the job I could get. Well, plus the whole I, the pre-med background, I, I, I kind of started tying those, uh, those, those dots together. Yeah, I mean, you, you you can. There's a great departure from chemistry to uh, the the startup healthcare company. But yes, they're at least in the same sector, I suppose. I got you. Um, but that that and those two things eventually led me to uh, to Nashville, Tennessee, which happened to be a place of music and of healthcare, um, and participated with um, a few other startups when I moved to Nashville. Ended up going to work at uh, a company called AIM Healthcare. And that was formative for me because that's where I kind of started at the very bottom and by the end was working for uh, one of the owners and learned that um, learned that beyond just like peddling uh, a set of things that your company is selling, um, that by listening to what your clients need, you could actually solve their problems. So again, being very people focused, listening focused. Um, and um, and after I did that for a number of years, uh, after that, I, I kind of felt like my work was soulless. And I was making a good living and I was I was having uh, meaningful work in a sense, but I was looking for more. And I jumped and that's where I jumped into a nonprofit for several years um, and found that work to be incredibly meaningful. Uh, you also learn a lot of things that are unexpected. 
and in and in working for a nonprofit. What were the things that you learned that were unexpected? I'm curious. Well, I think right. So a younger person's idealism, right? So is is challenged. Uh, you find out that making a difference in the world is not tied to a tax status of of um, you know tax exempt or not. Um, and you you recognize quickly that there's as much dysfunction in in any world, the nonprofit world or the for-profit world. So I think a simplistic view on that um, kind of got eroded or blown up. And I recognize it really came down to the people you're working with, the project that you're applied to, um, and whether you in, you had intention to make a difference in the world. Um, and so I, I kind of changed my perspective on on what I would do next. I love that you bring that up because I think it's really important that we that we that we know that our life can be a dedication to making a difference, right? And our businesses can be dedicated to making a difference. And you don't have to be a nonprofit or be all woo woo to to make a difference. And really, I don't know why we got to the, we got away from. Um, I don't I mean I feel like this could be a whole other vertical, but. I think at the end of the day, when you boil it down purpose in life, right, it's to pay it forward. It's to take care of the next generation. It's to add value to whatever status this this world was when we came into it. And when you can make it about that, I mean, it makes showing up to work way more rewarding. And I don't know at what point uh, existence or having a job was just a job, right? Uh, I don't know. Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I, I think that maybe just out of some practicality, we, we bifurcated uh, our worlds, right? We said we have this thing we do from nine to five or in the restaurant business, longer hours than that. Um, and that's how we pay our bills. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be connected to our talents or our gifts or our passions. That's just what you do to have a job. And then if you have any time left over, well, then you're involved in your church or community service or you you find meaning and purpose outside of that. And I think that's that is the reality of many people. Um, I think we all have the opportunity to do so much better than that. I think if we can live a more integrated life because purpose is something you put in. It's what you bring to work. Mm-hmm. It isn't just what you find in your job. And I think in the restaurant business, what a great example. Every single guest, every single customer that stands in front of you, you have, you have the opportunity, if only for 10 seconds, to look them in the eye to be fully present mm-hmm. and um, and to bring some good into that moment. And that is, I love it. that's a remarkable thing that gets overlooked while we're making food. So at what point, 2007, where are we on the timeline right now? 2007, you got involved with Vintage Grape or Vintage Graphs, which was probably your first four-way into food and beverage. Uh, does, it, does it make sense going there? or? Yeah, so start- I mean, a couple of things happened there. When, when I was working in healthcare and in the nonprofit, I started to solve problems uh, through technology. I realized that if we were going to evolve any of those industries, so I started to pay attention to technology, start investing in technology, and um, had this great idea of, okay, the next couple of projects I wanted to work on would be more tech-centered. I wanted to work with people that I loved, and I wanted them to, to be more tech, um, tech-centered. And so, yeah, launched a, a mobile app. Um, well, launched, and at the last minute, pulled the plug on a mobile app that was a, a wine app. Uh, got a huge education in the process. Um, what was the and- lesson there? I'm curious. Well, so many lessons. Okay. So, I mean, one, one is understanding. I mean, one is I went into this partnership with uh, one of my best friends. Okay. Um, and I found out that that alone can be difficult, that often those two things don't go well together. We're still best of friends now. Um, but the business partner part was hard. Um, but the other thing was the timing of a launch of, of a new entrant into the world. You can be too late. You can also be too early. And we were a little too early. Uh, we had some heavy hitter investors that were um, that were willing to invest. And we all got together at the end and realized it wasn't the right time. 
and so I diverted my attention to another project, which had multiple iterations and ended up becoming to go technologies, uh, which, which ended up being a mobile app for restaurants. Yeah. So what really dive into what to go technologies was, what was the, the, the scratch you guys were itching? Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, it's it's really more about um, a lesson of pivoting out of necessity, right? So we didn't start out uh, being a mobile app for restaurants. We started out, uh, we actually had a uh, an idea around uh, around the healthcare business, and then that pivoted into a loyalty business, and then that pivoted into maybe a grocery store and a restaurant business. We we went down the road of food trucks. Uh, a a catering program for a corporate feeder program. We tried so many different things, um, burned through our investors' uh, cash, uh, trying to find what would work. And what ended up working is what we became, right? And that's that's really the lesson of being an entrepreneur is you 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 have a grand vision, you have a business plan, you have a certain amount of limited capital. At the end of the day, you do what works. Mm-hmm. You do what customers will pay you for. Yeah, and I think also the the art of the pivot, which is a skill that can be transferable across all boards, all industries, uh, really dive into what the pivot is and the art of the pivot and maybe how that makes sense in the restaurant industry too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first probably rule of the pivot is you got to check your ego at the door, right? So you have a grand vision and it feels so personal and intimate. You, you have, uh, the best laid plans, but when, when the data and your experience tells you that you're going the wrong direction, uh, and it's just simply not going to work. You can you can suffer longer, you can suffer in silence, or you can put the suffering to an end and you can adjust. Um, a door closes, look for a window. So I think it's a mindset where that you have to set aside your ego and you have to be the kind of person that recognizes almost any problem can be solved, not one way, but many, many ways. And so zoom back a little bit, look for alternative ways and look for you can add value. Yeah. And, and the restaurant in the restaurant business, right? This happens uh, all the time. Um, we even at even where I am now in Tzatziki's, right? You you start off where you 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 focus on your your great experience and your food and your four walls. Well, what happens when the industry when consumer demand shifts to off-premise dining and now it's curbside and it's delivery and it's catering? Well, you could stubbornly say, no, that's not who we are, quote unquote. Or you can you can open your heart and mind to say, no, who we are is is our culture and our brand and our food. And we can bring that anywhere. You can eat at our table or we'll bring it to your table. The flexibility to not get rigid in those moments, uh, off-premise dining and the the sort of rapid shift in that direction uh, just in the last few years is a good example. Yeah, and I think the other things to add on regarding pivot is when, when you are small and nimble, uh, in, in being open-minded, right, to the possibilities, it's so much easier to pivot when you in those earlier days when you are three or four people working together in a small unit versus you've scaled your brand, you, you you've gotten so big. Ships, big ships, don't pivot as easy as jet skis, right? So when you're small and nimble, like, and the other thing that you mentioned is just listening to your customers. Your customers will tell you what to do if you're if you're just talking to them or actually uh, surveying them, your, your customers will help give you direction. So be small, be nimble, be, be ready and willing to adapt to what your customers' needs are. I think this, is, this might be a complete, uh, I don't even know why I'm going down this road, but I feel like compelled I need to. So one thing I've learned is that uh, you mentioned that you, know, you can't be so tied to your vision. You hear some 
consultants or some experts or even some restaurant owners saying it's all about your vision. It's all about knowing exactly where you want to be and, and, and you know, chugging ahead and, and not veering off course and, and keeping the vision. And then other people will say, you know, be small and nimble and ready to adapt. And sometimes your vision might have to change. So yeah. what do you, what, what's, what's going on here? Like there's so many <laughs> different like people, like adv- advice can be so confusing. What are your thoughts on that? What I just share with you? Yeah, um, I think certainty can be a big trap. So this idea of having a rigid vision, I think, can be a trap. Uh, There's a great book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, and it suggests that when you're putting together your plans, yes, it's important to make plans, right? And it's important to have budgets and it's important to have even establish a vision. But you should look more, you should look at what's working and double down on those things. You should also look at what's not working and fearlessly move towards your weaknesses and work on those things that your plan should be informed by more improving who you are than than setting some arbitrary um, goal way out in front of you on the horizon that you're going to be the biggest or the baddest or whatever. Um, I would say yeah, to me, I mean, what the vision statement or the vision is not as important as the purpose and your core values. I do believe that that those those two things are key. It is important to know why do we do what we do? Because when the when the when the when the same store sales are up and traffic is up and everyone's celebrating and it's a great time, we're all going to feel great. But when things get hard, is there anything bigger than just the immediate financial success that would keep us in this business, keep us moving forward if it gets hard? Well, the only thing that will do that is purpose. You have to have a deeper why. And for us at Tzatziki's, um, working with Keith Richards, the founder, we recognize is uh, fundamentally it's about helping people and communities flourish. And we think food brings people together. It helps people in their hard moments in life, consoling them, comforting them. It helps give a, uh, a, a platform for their, their greatest of celebrations. And so helping, helping people and communities flourish in a world that's very disconnected, um, creating connections uh, through food, that feels really meaningful to us. Even so, so even if we have a hard quarter, we're gonna keep going because that part's working. And so quarters can come and go and sales can go up and down. Um, but you have to have a deeper purpose. And I do think you need to have some core values, which understanding who you are. I think Keith talked about these things, understanding the core things um, that is the characteristics of, of who you are at your best helps you to know who to hire, helps you know who should we let, you know, free up their future, let them go somewhere else versus you're a perfect fit with us, right? So I think those two things obsess about those. In fact, when I got to Tadiki's, that's one of the things we worked on a lot. Um, but I think, and yes, set a vision, but be flexible because consumers change their behaviors and tastes, preferences change, technology change, the world changes. So let's be flexible in the things we can be flexible about. There's certain things we want to stay true to forever. Yeah. And you fielded that question really well. Cause I threw that curveball at you and the, I like curveballs. Yeah. Okay. To go back to the origin question, which was basically we get a lot of, uh, different advice. Some people will say pivot, say, you know, adapt and change and listen to the, the market and they'll tell you what to do. And other people say, yeah. follow the vision. But what I've learned, and this is something that I've really been struggling with over the past few months as I'm trying to grow the restaurant unstoppable brand. Like I'm starting to, to realize I, I got to start picking directions and picking beliefs and getting behind beliefs, but there's so many different things I believe in and I don't know where to start. And, and like, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's, there are so many pieces of advice that are so contradictory. Like they, we are constantly (laughs) contradicting ourselves all the time and there is no one way to get the job done. And I think what you said is really important. You got to focus on improving who you are and, and then 
put all these different ways to accomplish things into your arsenal, into your toolkit, and then everything is going to be circumstantial. And you have to know yeah. in what circumstance to pull out what tool to get the job done. And what's more important, like you mentioned, is having that purpose, having those core values in and that will guide you. And the vision is important because it gets everybody pulling in the same direction, but that vision right. can change. So yeah. being loose, being fluid, being malleable and adapting is kind of what I'm getting from you and really yeah. great little segue there that we went into. Uh, do you want to reflect on anything I just shared before moving on back to your timeline? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say what, you, what, you, what I just heard you say was, look, you got to be solid in your why, solid in your who, but the how you can be flexible on how we, how we progress over time. That part's really flexible. The, the delivery, should you do it in-house or should you go third party? Classic thing. You, you can get a, a group of restaurateurs around the table and everyone will say, oh, we have to do this. Um, some will say we don't want to, but we have to. Some will say it's only a trend. Some, no, it's here to stay. If you're not in this business, you're, you're out of business soon. Uh, amazing. How can they all be true? <laughs> right. And so you got to be anchored in who you are and, and what you're about. And then, and then be, maybe be flexible with the how, maybe pilot both, yeah. maybe, maybe find out for, instead of just buying in without being informed. So I think where we left off, you were, uh, you, you had evolved into two go technologies, uh, yes. before you jumped to, uh, Fresh Hospitality, where was right. To Go Hospitality? So like, what, what, what was that product looking like before you made that transition to Fresh Hospitality? Yeah, we went from a, an aggregator app, so similar to like a Grubhub um, and or now a Yelp and, and many other platforms that, that would aggregate um, a, a plurality of restaurants all in one place, uh, restaurants, caterers, et cetera. Um, and what we found was it wasn't, um, there wasn't enough of good balance of supply and demand and there, and it wasn't enough of a revenue stream at the time restaurants, um, only the biggest restaurants had their own, uh, native apps. Um, and it, it but, but, you know, Moore's law and the cost of technology going down, suddenly we realized it was an opportunity in talking to restaurants. They wanted their own. Mm -hmm. So we, we reformatted, um, refactored our code set and said, well, we can do both. We can have a marketplace, but let's start leaning into making native apps. In other words, an app on the Apple store or an Android uh, app. And so we, we went back to at the time, maybe 500 restaurant customers we had and, and like 10% of them were like, we're in, let's do this. Now at the same time, we happened to one of those serendipitous moments where the universe and the stars aligned uh, for your, for your good. Uh, we bumped into um, a gentleman by the name of Mike Bodner. And because we were looking at the time and not only building apps for restaurants, but the importance of integrating them into the point of sale, or at least the, their, their restaurant management sort of tech ecosystem. Um, yes, we saw so many of the competitors were had tablets, much like the delivery companies. It's funny. There's like a repeat yeah. um, all these years later, but but the serious player said, look, if you're really going to do this and do this well, you have to find a way to integrate it to make it easy on the on the kitchen operator. Yes, you, it's great for the guest experience, but it's not good for the operator. So and we heard that nobody uh, better than Michael Bodner knew about uh, restaurant point of sale and, and kitchen technology. And so um, a gentleman that um, has deep domain experience in the restaurant space uh, worked extensively um, with the Wendy's brand. Uh, in its early years, went on to be the Shoney CEO and 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 lots of other experiences. And he was in he was um, he was really the chairman of a group called Fresh Hospitality that was really investing in early stage restaurant brands. Um, 
And years before, they had invested in a, a barbecue brand called Jimmy Nick's Barbecue. Okay. They had they had found a a young uh, entrepreneur by the name of Keith Richards ah. who had launched <laughs> a couple of tzatzikis and um, what wasn't quite sure how to scale it to the next level, and that was their field of expertise. Um, and so. Early on, Mike Bodner and Fresh Hospitality had come alongside Keith Richards and said, hey, we can help your dream scale and bring the Mediterranean food to more, more communities. And they had partnered up. So all these years later, Michael Bodner is realizing that now a portfolio of 10 plus brands, today they have like around 20, um, needed, needed to start investing in technology. And they couldn't go the $42 million at the time, Panera uh, strategy, uh, which is now you know over a hundred million dollar investment yeah. i read the other day wow. um and so they needed an affordable solution so um he made fresh fresh made a, an, uh, an investment in to go technologies um we agreed to build them their proprietary white label apps and um started down that road and and ironically i think tzatziki's was the first one of that group that we built an app for um back in you know like 2015. Okay, so it's all starting to come together now. I think this is a good time to uh, take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be back to talk about how this relationship started to grow and how you became more involved with Tzatziki's. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant's hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. All right, we're back and you were just starting to get into how you discovered the Tzatziki's brand and we really haven't dove into how you got on board and what that all looked like. So maybe let's bring it there. Uh, how did you become a franchisee? Like how did that all unravel did you pursue it did they pursue you take us there yeah so when i worked with fresh hospitality um i, I so i jumped from to go technologies i got a break even and a partner running and i joined fresh hospitality um to help them uh work with new and emerging brands um and and it was a great experience for me again i'd never run a restaurant before uh this was a new field for me so the entrepreneurial vetting new brands that fit with me learning the brands as i went so i'd literally go train at our coffee concept and our juice bar concept and train some at tzatziki's um, and at all the brands at the time i thought man tzatziki's is by far the most buttoned up that makes sense they were the most mature the highest you know unit count um and and the partners at fresh hospitality said hey we have this really remarkable kind of legacy project that mike bodner graduated from west virginia university in morgantown that they're going to do a public-private partnership on the campus um, and campus dining. It's a big thing, right? And usually you have to go through a, 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 
a commissary or you have to go through uh, some other organization to be able to have a chance at this. Well, this is a unique opportunity to build a $30 million building, a student center there that would have um, have six fresh hospitality restaurants. Wow. And so that became quickly became my signature project to help with the design, build, operate and the process to select or develop brands to put in there. And so one of the anchor tenants was Tzatziki's. Um, that's when I really started to uh, get to know that brand, get to know the founder, realize, man, Keith and I uh, similarly really care about people. I immediately picked up on his big heart and I was like, that is the kind of founder I want to be a part of um, and want to advance not so much my vision for the for the company, but his. Um, and then I realized the food and my, you know, my wife we, we is a big foodie. Uh, loves loves healthy food. We grow uh, herbs and vegetables in our backyard still to this day. And so these things started to align. And this is the brand I really love. Um, but again, at the time, I thought they were super buttoned up. They certainly don't need an entrepreneurial uh, help. Um, but as I got into it, um, became a, a franchisee and the operating partner uh, for that restaurant. So when you and became the franchisee, was this for the uh, university location? Did you, was that yes. your, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Evansville Crossing in Morgantown, West Virginia. Moved up there, got an apartment. And mind you, this is crazy because I'm married with three kids. Uh, I'm also finishing grad school at this time, <laughs> uh, my MBA, and launching the Signature Project, which, which was an amazing, an amazing experience for sure. A great deep dive, you know, shallow into the pool, deep into the pool, pretty fast. Um, so I got to know the brand, realized the systems were intact, um, and I kind of want to hover here a little bit because we yeah. can't just like hover over. Uh, you're, you know, breaking into the restaurant industry as a franchisee. Any big lessons as a first-time restaurant owner, franchisee? Yeah, so I think it's important. I mean, one is I definitely I came at this from the entrepreneurial side, where you have skin of the game and you also are on a tight tight timetable. And what the franchisor says, this is the schedule, doesn't always work out to be the the real schedule. So right away, it took us a while to hire people. So I didn't find my GM till late in the game. Well, there's eight weeks of required training, which I knew then and I know now, super important, right? We want to set our people up for success. But the reality is I only had like five or six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so the the breakdown between the best laid plans and the right standards of a franchisor versus the realities and constraints of a franchisee. So I have empathy for, empathy for that still to this day. Um, you seek win-win solutions and then instead of being hardline about it. Um, and the other, you know, the, the challenge of finding, you know, labor, um, finding great staff in whatever city you're in, it was a challenge then. It's a real challenge now. Uh, you don't want, we're not in the business of just hiring warm bodies, right? So those, so forming empathy from being in the trenches. The other thing is, um, you know, you, you'd get emails from the corporate office that would say, this is a, talk about pivoting, right? We used to do this way, now doing this way. And, you know, and I'm a why guy. Like, I don't understand. Why are we doing it? I mean, I'm, I'm all in. I'm agreeable. Yeah. I guess it would really make it easier for me to explain it to my team. If, if I, knew I knew why. why. Exactly. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so, and I remember even then raising my hand and saying, hey, from now on, it'd be really helpful if you guys could give us a why, if you give us a, a new direction. Um, and so, yeah, I think you learn empathy. You learn the struggle um, and that it's not all good times. It takes several months, if not years to get to break even. You have to be in a good capital position. Um, and you, therefore you have to have great communication with your partners um, to have the hard conversations of, 
I know I thought we weren't going to need another cash call, but we do need another cash call. So wait, were you were you using your own capital, your own investment to get involved with the, the Zeke's franchise, uh, or were you using fresh hospitality? Was were they investing in the franchise? I'm kind of curious of the about the dynamic there. Yeah, that was a that was not fresh hospitality formal. There were some partners uh, across fresh hospitality, including myself, that uh, formed a new LLC, a new partnership to to launch that particular restaurant. So gotcha. it was a separate LLC. And were you uh, investing in multiple franchises that were going to be in this this uh, thirty five million dollar unit, or were you just all in on the Tzatzikis? Yeah, um, I was involved in all six of the brands. Wow. Um, and so what I just described as far as the relationship with the franchisee and franchisor was really time six. Um, it was different, though, because uh, Tzatziki's was really was the brand that was the most mature and most established with policies, procedures, support, etc. Most of the other brands were either very early stage. So there wasn't a lot of structure. It would be I'd go talk to the founding chef or barbecue pitmaster and we'd work out a training plan. It was very, uh, very uh, hand to hand. Um, or two of the brands, actually, I got to help co-develop. Um, and so it was a very mixed experience. And so Tzatziki's was probably the most traditional franchise or franchisee experience for me in that. So you were buying into six franchises all at once on this, on this uh, college facility. Yes. And, and that blows my mind, man. I don't and, know. <laughs> and, and, and setting out to hire 200 people to, uh, to run them, um, and get them trained in time. Um, and we did, we launched it. Uh, we launched it. It's been a great success. Uh, we eventually found another operating partner and, uh, amazing experience. And I'll tell you too, there's, you know, there's scary moments where you, where you are convinced it's not going to work. There's, there's moments where you call your partners and, and, uh, they reassure you, uh, there's moments you have to fire the people that you thought were your, aces in the hole, the people you could depend upon, and you got to start that process all over, right? All of those things, um, all of those things are, are what can make it really stressful. And again, so, why you need a really strong why? Yeah. So how did you pull that? My next question is, how did you pull through? What, what happened? What made you uh, come out the other end? Are you still in the tunnel? <laughs> uh, no. Um, um, you know, again, my, my orientation at the time was to have great communication with the rest of the partners and to have really transparent, um, communication with all of the staff. What and does so transparent was, communication look like before you keep going? I'm curious. Yeah. Well, so, you know, obviously upwards is probably a little bit more clear. Like you're, you're, you're giving advance notice on where we are with the financials, where we're with cash flow, if we think we're going to need a, a cash call, et cetera. Um, an honest assessment of where we are with staff, even if it's even if it's scary and ugly, um, and so not not sugarcoating, not just giving the good information to the rest of the partners, but giving the the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and because they can handle it if you have good partners, right? And they're in it with you, and you're not meant to carry it alone. Um, and I, you know, I had to learn some of those lessons. You know, I, I remember the first time we had a cash call, and I waited to the very last minute because I was praying that I could turn it around and would avoid the cash call. Well, it didn't happen. Um, and, and one of the partners said, that's, that's not yours to carry alone, right? We carry that together. What it's is a great... cash call real quick? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, a cash call is, uh, when you run out of money and you have to get your checkbooks and you have to each write a check for, um, few thousand dollars or more to fund the operations, working operating capital for the upcoming quarter or quarters. And, and, and right. Any good plan, you start with a budget, 
and an ROI that if we invest this much to launch this restaurant, we're also going to need this much working operating capital. And so you have a plan going in where you have cash on hand. And essentially, just if you don't get the break even fast enough or there's other extenuating circumstances, you're going to have to put more cash back in the business. And so that's a, a cash call gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. from the partners to all ante up and get out their checkbooks. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, you guys, you're able to pull it off. Did you ever need the cash call? Did that ever happen? Or did you, were you able to? Yes. Okay. No, yeah, we, 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 we had to do multiple cash calls. It was a very big operation. Um, and a lot of, you know, uh, we had the upside of being on the meal plan. So we had an amazing natural flow of demand um, and traffic, but we had to figure out what was going to work for students, that particular customer segment. And, and that was, you know, not by Googling them, but by asking them yeah. <laughs> um, and making adjustments about how we marketed things, where to get our price points um, right. And it's a little different in, in that kind of environment than in a traditional four wall um, restaurant. And when you're, when you're, uh, in a kind of a food hall environment, you have to change up your business model a little bit. Okay. And then we got into this rabbit hole because I asked you about cash calls, but before that you yes. were talking about transparency and yes. being open with the cash calls, take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I would say the other part of transparency, I was, I was saying the balance of the flip side of that coin is really with your staff, right? So it's, it's, I looked at this as I knew I was getting people that, um, I would need to invest into. And so I personally sought to mentor them and I, and on a, on a personal and professional level, uh, we, we adopted, uh, we read a book called who, and we adopted some of the methodologies It's a great book for the restaurant industry. And it basically said, um, we're going to be brutally honest. We'll have, you know, we're going to speak the truth in love. So I'm going to stay a relational collaborative posture with you at the same time. I'm not going to withhold any truth because it's just hurting you, hurting your progression. So we quickly adopted, um, you know, an AB scoring, uh, ABC scoring. And it was basically, if you're an A, I'm going to tell you, um, and I'm going to give you more opportunity. And when I can more pay when you're a B, it means you're amazing, but you're not as good as you can be. And I'm going to tell you the gap between where you are, and where you could be. And we're going to be totally open about it. And when you're a C, you're going to get an opportunity because everyone I think deserves a second opportunity. And otherwise we're going to replace you with someone else who's willing to, um, to be at least in a B posture and, and, and have a growth mindset. I got to ask. So when you have a C great person, all yeah. the right values align with everything that you believe in, but they're just not quite there with their ability. How do you break that to them? I, I get the, 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 the value of being open and honest, the speed of trust, right? The speed of transparency, yeah. but how do you let somebody know that they're maybe not on the right path? How do you do it in a constructive way? Yeah. I mean, I think there's institutional ways, right? So people like to depend upon, I know that twice a year that I'm going to have a review and it is, is it a one-way review or is it a two-way 360 review, which is, uh, which is, I think is preferable. Let's have a two-way conversation about this because I too want feedback on how I'm doing. Um, so I think there's institutional ways and then there's, there's don't wait for those moments, right? I think if you get to a review like that and it's the first time you're hearing about it, then, then the supervisor didn't do a very good job. So it's, 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 you work shoulder to shoulder on the line with people. You don't just supervise from afar, right? Um, and then you coach as you go. And so a lot of that, a lot of those moments, if you've coached multiple times and when you need to pull the person aside, there's no surprise. They know, I know I have dropped that ball. Yeah. I've come to late six times. I've messed up the recipe eight times cause I'm not following it. You know, they'll, they should have enough evidence to where they already know. I think mm -hmm. that's part of being a good manager. The person should already know. No surprises. Yeah. I think one other piece of advice that's come up a lot on the show is say, Hey, like, 
you're not in the right lane and I'm not doing my job in mentoring you by keeping you in this lane. This lane is holding you back. You're really great at this. You should consider like, you know, I've noticed you're not great at these things, but you are amazing at these things. And maybe you should lean into those strengths because you'll be far more successful in life. And when you take that approach of looking out for their best interests, it it tends to hurt a lot less. Uh, That's right. I, I I totally agree that we talk about that in terms of the, you get one life and everybody I believe has inherent value and also talents and gifts. Right. And even going back to our why statement, which is to help people flourish. So when I see somebody, when someone's dropping the ball that many times, they themselves are not very happy. They're not flourishing. Yeah. So half the time it's like, look, man, I can tell you're not really flourishing at work right now. Let's I'm observing a couple things. How are you doing? What are you experiencing? This, this is probably not the, that's fine. The, our goal is to find the right fit. If it's in this station, great. Might be a different station. It might be a different concept. It might be a different industry. And I'll work with you to try to help you kind of get from here to flourishing. Might be, Hopefully it's in this role, but from here to flourishing might be someplace else. And that's really the, the ultimate goal. Yeah. And to get even more big picture, what, I mean, is it not our responsibility when we open a business to take care of everybody else but ourselves? Like, I mean, we're taking care of ourselves, but our goal should be to also take care of the people that we, that have invested their trust in us. Right. And, and it, it should be our goal as business owners to guide the next generation of professionals down the right path. And I think we've kind of gotten away from that responsibility. Uh, we pay them a check and that's where the relationship ends, but really it should be transformative. We really should be looking out for their best interest and helping them get set up for success in life. And I feel like we're going down another rabbit hole. I want to kind of come back up to your story and the Tzatziki story. We got to get, we haven't even gotten to like your current role as CEO. Uh, so I'm curious, are you still with the five other operations that you bought into back when you were with Fresh Hospitalities? Yeah, my focus now is, um, it's fully on Tzatziki's and it's probably a good, a good foray into this is that the board, after that experience, we found a local operating partner to take over that whole business uh, including the Tzatzikis, uh, the board uh, came to me and said, as I mentioned in the very beginning, that they were at the crossroads of 20 years. And they said, hey, we want we want to innovate. Uh, we want someone that's come at this with a, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, a technology person, and the empathy of the franchise perspective, franchisee perspective. And would you be interested in coming as a chief innovation officer? Um, and so very quickly, boom, it was... Now we're meeting with a kind of a new team. Um, we, we, we didn't have a CEO. We were basically five executives sort of equal in power and different in the, our lanes on the highway. Uh, and my task uh, was, was really right up, right up my lane. And I, I loved it. It was number one, work with the founder to reinvigorate the culture. Let's define it. And let's really make this be more clear part of who we are as we, before we start growing more. And number two was do what you do, which is, Let's, let's invigorate, uh, invest in technology. Um, let's be smart about it. Um, and uh, number three was, let's look at how do we refresh the brand? And that was everything from um, the, the colors and look and feel and logos and, and style guide, but it was uniforms. But most importantly was the store refresh. Uh, and that was a fun project. Cause again, I got to go sit with the founders, Keith and his wife, Amy, and ask them these great questions, which is like one of those like, I know we're 20 years into this, but if you had to do it all over again, you know, show me your pictures from your first trip to Greece inspired this whole thing. Right. And I'm noticing like they're all dark blue ocean and white stone walls. And, and um, I'm noticing, I'm like, what would it be? Would it look like this? And he said, you know, and they said, yeah, it would look more like this, more coastal Mediterranean. Well, how do we get up with this old world Mediterranean? Yeah. 
And we're like, we're not totally sure, but I said, you know what? Here's the good news. You're the founder and I'm the chief innovation officer and we have the board behind us. We can make this change. You want to? Um, and before long, we're working with a, you know, startup architecture out of Pittsburgh that helped do some of the design for Google headquarters and had done some work with them before and um, reinvigorated this really the original design that just never came into fruition until 20 years. Yeah. And so. I want to dive into how you reinvigorated the culture, what that process looks like. Yeah. I think we're going to probably spend a lot of time there, but before we dive, really dive in and dissect that, something that didn't come out earlier that I think is really important that we bring to the surface before moving on. Uh, when you are getting involved with a franchise, really pay attention to the people that are behind that franchise. Are their values aligned with, with your values? And it sounds like that's something that came up early in your your conversation about Keith Richards, or, yeah, Keith, and uh, and the values and are before you get involved with the franchise, really make sure it's a right cultural fit, value fit, people fit. And I just wanted to highlight that because now we're going to be talking about reinvigorating the culture. Uh, you want to reflect on what I shared before diving into what that process of reinvigorating the culture looked like. Man, it's it's spot on. If you look at any restaurant group, certainly like a franchise or franchisee model, um, you've got You've got, yes, you have to meet a requirement of a financial requirement and you have to have restaurant experience. The territory has to be available, but those are really not the most important questions. Mm -hmm. They're secondary. What you just said is the most important question, which is without, without leading a person down the road, um, who are they already? Are mm. they, in our case, are they already people that are big hearted, that they're caring individuals that are already involved in their community? If so, they, they connect with who we are. Um, are they people that given the easy path and the hard path, they choose the challenging path. Um, they're not looking for a, an easier way to do something. Right. So just two examples. Um, yeah. Knowing, knowing that's why knowing who you are uh, and then, and then giving, finding out who they are, you know, it's, it's like any relationship, marriage, business partnerships. It's if you have two solid individuals who have a great know thyself awareness and that happens to line up, man, that's a good partnership. That's right. Magic. Doesn't you have to be, totally homogenous and everything, but there has to be some core things that are shared. Um, and if you're off, you can have a good fun, you got someone with deep pockets and restaurant experience, but they fundamentally just view the world a different way. It's gotta be a struggle and a long struggle that mm. you don't wanna get into. Nope, awesome, thank you for getting into that. So you you come on board, uh, Chief Innovation Officer, uh, you, then you were the CEO. Actually, at what point did you really start working with Keith to reinvigorate the culture? Was that after taking the CEO role? No, that, that was jumping right in um, and the chief innovation role. Uh, one of the first things we did, um, there had been some previous surveys and questionnaires that had been done um, around um, around what the brand was about. Um, and so I kind of unearthed those and I spent a lot of time with Keith and Amy. In fact, we went for a little tour around some of the Tzatziki's locations. And that's when those conversations, I wanted to go, you know, to me, like if you want to figure out the future, go back to the Garden of Eden, figure out the, the, the genesis of your story. And so just hearing their stories, I took a copious notes, uh, which I generally love to do anyway, and would recommend it to all of your listeners. Um, cause no way your mind can remember everything. What kind of um, things were you, were you listening for? What were the things that you're, you're trying to pay attention to when you're really paying attention to the, that origin story? Yeah. So, um, part of it was, you know, what, what motivated them, uh, the decisions, the early decisions about why they, how they built the menu. Why, why this menu? Why, why this one? Was this one the original one? Did we, did you shape, have any been lost along the way and why? Um, 
things like who did you hire? How did you know who to look for? Um, what were the struggles that you had early on that you overcame? Um, so some of the things that were formative for them that really has galvanized, I think, who Keith and Amy are as people is really still still there today. Um, that and and the other elements of 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 like what in the partnership with Fresh Hospitality, what what has still been you and what what have been sort of things that other people have layered on that either you want to retain or maybe that you want to shed given the chance. Okay. Um, so it's, it's almost like so, going through a, a purification process of yeah. getting back to the, 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 the original so- source, retaining what is nearest and dearest to that original brand, and then shedding what has either evolved or has been forced onto a brand that doesn't align with the original source. Yeah, that's exactly right. what, what things need to change. What things do you never want to change? Um, and, and if you, in, in the spirit of being relevant, how far should we innovate to stay inside of that sort of Genesis idea uh, and concept and, and maybe what's too far. Right. So I was trying to get a feel and I was throwing lots of ideas that were in my head about the store design, about technology, innovation, things like that, to get a sense about what the comfort level was. So um, not only of- are you getting, sorry, go ahead. I cut you, I cut you off. Go ahead. That's right. But I was going to say, you know, part of my role is, is not just to find the, the comfortable barriers, but also to push that a little bit. But I really wanted to understand um, where that is. And I, I remember early on, I, I literally went up to Keith and I shook his hand. And I said, hey, I want you to know that I'm not here to advance my own vision here. I am here to understand yours and just to help take it further. Um, and that's still my commitment to Keith today. I love it. So the big things I took from that getting close to the origin, getting as, as authentic as possible, but also the other variable there is, uh, drawing bottom lines or establishing limits that you're not willing to exceed, uh, to stay within that, that bubble of authenticity. That's right. Awesome. And I was, I was listening for, you know, after that basic, um, sort of introduction, deep dive, and then beyond that, we were trying to, to codify, all right, Keith, I know you never really put these on a list because we didn't really have brand values or company values outlined quite like that so formally. But I was really listening for um, what are the things that Keith says all the time? What are the things that have been repeated now by our franchisees and by our employees that have stood the test of time? Right? So something um, I'm curious those- about oh, real yeah. quick, when, when you came on, you're going through this process, how many locations was Tzatziki's at? Let's see. We were um, between probably uh, 50, a little around 50, 55. All right. And now you're at uh, 72 locations. Is that number still accurate? Oh, we're, we're at 86 right now. Okay. 86 uh, locations. Out. Okay. I just want to kind of get that perspective of where you were when you came on growth, and where you are now. Curve, yeah. 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 So yeah. if you can't pick up your train, I thought I apologize. Yeah. You can pick up. From no, there. it's great. So, um, you know, from there it was then saying, okay, let's, let's try to codify these, these behaviors these commitments and behaviors, because um, that's really what a brand value should be. It's not an esoteric value or belief on the wall. Like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we were this? No, it's more like, hey, this is who we are. This is what we commit, how we commit to behave. And this is like us at our best. You should be able to see things. So we we landed on five uh, core values, five brand values. The first one was connection, which is basically that we we're, we make connections. We're people that are caring and engaging. We make connections. Um, number two is around challenge. We embrace the challenge, right? We, we understand that to do this well, to do scratch made food uh, well, you've got to work with urgency and passion. Um, and again, we look for people that are not looking for the easier way. There are many easier concepts and many easier ways, but we really believe in the hard way in this case. Uh, after that, it's collaboration. If you're going to do something that hard, you can't do it alone. 
Um, and so you got to do your role well, and you need to respect the person you're right and your left just as much as yourself. Uh, and so collaboration is, is facilitating collaboration, honoring collaboration is key for us. Um, and then know the details. So in this case, it is, there is a Tzatziki's way. So we're all committed to learn the Tzatziki's way and then being disciplined to follow it. So that's lifelong learning, uh, growth mindset, and then discipline is kind of how we live that out. And the last one is keep it fresh. So fresh is our fifth brand value. And we do mean that by stubbornly believing in the real food movement, kind of like uh, uh, Kimball Musk, who, who promotes that a lot. Um, big fans of other brands like, you know, Sweet Greens. And, and those are really sort of bringing uh, produce and vegetables and better for you to the foreground. Uh, we definitely feel kindred with, uh, with brands like that. But also fresh also means being relevant, right? So this is exactly what we talked about earlier, which is while we were being fresh with our food, we weren't going to be stuck in 20 years ago. We were going to say, how do we serve a millennial who's coming into the scene and they have, they value convenience as much as quality. So how do you, right? how do you scale and stay fresh as, as the numbers of the units go up, uh, as yeah. the ship gets bigger, it gets more difficult to pivot and to stay fresh and to, in, in, in a time where the culture is changing and Things are happening faster than ever because of technology and communication. Things just don't stay the same for very long. So how do you plan on uh, staying fresh while scaling and getting slower? What's your plan for that? Yeah, so on the, on the food side, on the, on the raw material um, sourcing side, I mean, there's, there's a couple things. One is, you know, we are, in fact, this year having a major focus on the farmers behind our food. And so understanding that these recipes that Keith designed, they have in the Mediterranean diet in general, right? There's certain flavors are really accentuated. And so it's not just olive oil, but we source our olive oil actually from Greece and, and we've, we know who the farmers are and we visited them. And that's a, that's a, that's key to our brand. Um, and so understanding what flavors are really the most important to differentiate uh, your flavor profiles. Um, we have, you know, American raised, uh, beef and lamb and chickens. And we've been to visit those, those farmers and that are kind of in that network. Uh, and then we produce is local. We grow our herbs local part of our hope project. I know Keith talked about, um, when he was on your show. Um, and so it starts with a real appreciation for the celebrity status, I would say, but the farmers behind our food of, of understanding that our, our, our plate, our meal is only as good as ingredients. So making decisions about which of these ingredients do we want to invest extra into with direct sourcing. Uh, and then it's a great supply chain partners, right? So and we've been fortunate that the cost of chicken has been low, maybe artificially low. And, um, but like looking where we can have good partners and we can through our supply chain team lock in prices. So we're constantly you know, managing how do we keep our food costs ready to the targets that we're designed to. And through 21 years, we have. Um, so. We will constantly watch it. It is a balance, though, of watching your food costs, having great partners that help you control your costs. Safe food is important as affordable raw materials, right? So, you know, we're investing this year into a tech-enabled HACCP plan, which is food safety initiative. That's all as important as the cost. You can get lower, uh, lower chicken and have uh, an outbreak or lower produce and have an outbreak, and that's not the end anybody wants. So it's a balance of cost and safety and the flavors in your ingredients. That's how we kind of look at it. So this was going to be my next question is if, if one of your values is real food, uh, you're, you're part of the real food movement and you want fresh to be a part of 
you know, some of your core values, how do you scale fresh when, when are you going to be finding different purveyors for chicken, say all across the nation, or are you sticking with like what I I struggle with understanding how you can do both sometimes. Uh, and just give you a little dialogue. Like I, I, if if you notice, uh, I don't interview a lot of franchise operators because I am on the fence and I'm trying to be open-minded uh, of what's best for the future. Franchise, big, big operations are smaller, fragmented, uh, independent operations, maybe smaller franchise or corporations. And this is, but I'm, I'm looking to learn. I'm looking to open mind. There might be perspectives I don't understand. That's why you're here. Hopefully well, I, I you know, broaden my horizon a little bit, please. Yeah. So I would say they're the same thing okay. because at the end of the day, they are all entrepreneurs. This is the part that I, why I never aspire to be part of the restaurant business. Um, but, but now that I'm in it, I recognize whether it is a local mom and pop, which I love um, and love frequent them, or it is a franchisee. In either case, you're talking about a local person who in all of our cases has grown up there and invested in their, their kids or went to school there and they've gone to church there. They, they are the same person that decided to launch their own restaurant versus decided to become a franchisee. Uh, they took on the same risks. They had the same local connections. They, they experienced the same ups and downs and challenges, uh, the highs and lows of operating a restaurant, right? Um, they are all local operators. The only difference is one subset of them happens to be gifted with a particular set of skills, which is the ideation to come up with their own menu the inspiration to know how to market it and communicate that to their community. And the other subset say, I, I'm a, I want to be, I want to bring this connectivity through food to my community and uh, same thing, but I don't, I don't know how to construct this menu or I can't construct a menu that's as good as this one that I found that Keith and Amy happened to be gifted with doing. And so one is just a, it's a collaboration on a high level. And in exchange for that, you share, a relatively small royalty for a lot of support if it's a good restaurant group. Um, but so to me, when I meet the, 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 the guy who owns one little restaurant that he opened or the guy that is a franchisee that also owns one restaurant in the same town, but he's, he's part of a bigger system, you know, and, and I know it's true because the guy who opens, you know, the frothy monkey uh, coffee shop, when it's one, it fits easily inside of this romantic boutique thing. What happens when it becomes 10, and then they start licensing it and franchising it. Which group are they in now? Well, they're the same people. You know, their Keith Richards was a guy who opened one restaurant and he has just extended that offer to many others who can better bring it to their communities than Keith can, which is why we don't operate restaurants all around the country. Uh, I think the franchisee model is a great entrepreneurial entrepreneurial model for the country. Okay. Um, I get are you one over? I bet, did I move you an inch? No. I, have, I still have a few questions. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to all of them today. Uh, but one of your, the biggest uh, core values that you kind of came out of the gate with, gate, come, came out of the gate with is the connectivity. Um, how do you plan on staying as connected in the early days when there is one, two, three locations uh, connected to that, that, that essence, that brand, all these things that you were after when getting close to Keith and trying to, to distill those things. How do you, how do you plan on keeping that connectivity, those relationships as strong as they were in the early days? Like what's your plan for that? Yeah, man, that's, that's a great question. And let's not sugarcoat. That's hard. Um, I think the first thing for us was start with clarity. Uh, you can't perpetuate something unless it's really clear. And the second step for us was to integrate it into everything. So, Everything from our 
our uh, periodic webinar where we try to get the whole uh, the whole family on a webinar and we even structured it based on the five sections are based on our five brand values so we reinforce that um, the other thing is and even our even our uh, our quarterly visits and 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 brand standard audits when we visit the stores and we make sure that they're living up to the brand standards even that we restructured to basically uh, pivot off of the five key off of the five brand values. We want to reinforce that this is not just about perfect operations, but it's also connection. How are you living out connection with your guests? Um, so for us, it was integrated into everything we possibly could. So um, it would it would eventually become at least a part of it would become a part of the culture that people were familiar with. But beyond that, it's it's um, nothing is is a shortcut to um, the founder, myself, our executive team being in relationship with our franchisees. Um, and so, and when, and things are really best come into view, not when you're talking about it at your annual conference, it's really when you have conflict, right? And when things don't go well, I'm reminded, wait, pause. We all committed that we're gonna stay in connection even when it's hard. Mm -hmm. And it's hard right now with this particular situation, whatever it might be, but let's, let's go back to, I'm committed to you that I'm going to stay in connection. We can work through this problem. I can collaborate with you, a win-win. I don't need to play the I'm the franchisor, you're the franchisee card. We can seek a win-win solution. That's collaboration. Yeah. And so it, it guides how we navigate not just the raw, raw moments of aspirational moments, but also the hard moments when we're navigating through a tricky situation. Yeah. And I think if you can call on those things in those moments, then it becomes your culture, like really becomes a part well, of it. Well, also you're not pulling rank, you're pulling core values. You're, you're cool. Ooh, you're I pulling like the vision. You're, 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 you're pulling all these things that you spent all this time getting to, to the essence of, because that's what they're agreeing to when they came on as a franchisee. Right. And, and you, right. you know, you can, pull rank or you can say this is what we all agree to this is the vision and you signed up for this like is what you're suggesting this which is why it's so important to write these things down and cement them because those it's not the people that make decisions it's these these things that you set into stone early on that dictate your decisions going forward um and one other thing i love about keith richards and the tzatziki's brand is his unwillingness and unwaveringness I don't know if that's a word unwaveringness. I'm just making shit up now um, to uh, basically not budge when it comes to people. And he won't yeah. let anybody come into this, the, the Tzatziki's franchise operation. Like he has really high standards and it's been a slow over 20 years. Right? What is he now at 20? You came on 21, at 21 years. He slow. And like, I think that's that, that slow growth that, that, not necessarily a race like off off to the races, but like really being particular about who you let come on and staying close to those people. And you know, that, that, that end game is really clear with you guys. I, and I, I would uh, double down on that to say, even now um, when I pivoted from the chief innovation officer to the CEO, the, as we put together a strategy and the, and the board said, well, you, you want to stay on um, which I, I wasn't expecting and nor envisioning. And, um, but it's but because I feel aligned with Keith and because the the direction we're going and because of things like this, the board does not have any give any pressure to to Keith and I and the executive team um, to grow fast. Um, in fact, uh, one of our uh, priorities this year is one of our five OKRs uh, objectives and key results is uh, around those who are left behind, and that means as we're growing, our first priority is to our partners we have. That what is their dream? They came on and they said, "Hey, I want to launch three of these." stores in Cincinnati. Okay, great. Let's focus our attention on helping you get your two stores to be where they're maximizing 
their impact in the community and then how do we help you launch your third store um if yeah no i was gonna say instead of like taking on another franchisee uh two towns over that might compete with your market is that kind of where yes. you're getting at? Yeah, yes, yes. And or even um, it's just an allocation of resources, right? Like any company, you know, we have a certain number of staff and our executive team and our franchise consultants training team that we can allocate for what we're going to do. We can launch brand new stores with brand new franchise partners. What we're saying is our first priority is is literally we called and emailed uh, all, all of our existing franchisees. Let's go back and and revisit what was your dream. How did, is it on track or off track? If it's off track, let's work, let's allocate resources to help you get it back on track. Uh, if it's on track, how do we help you accelerate that? And then, and then after that initiative, um, then, then only secondarily, are we inviting in new franchise partners in other, in other markets where we've yet to go? Um, and you're right, Keith's, Keith's standards are really high. We know we're gonna be in this marriage-like relationship for decades to, go, to come. And so we, we, we would rather say goodbye to someone who has deep pockets and restaurant experience was not a good fit, um, then make the wrong partnership. Yeah. And one thing I want to bring to the surface too, as far as numbers go, the kind of reflect on what you're saying, the fact sheet I have, uh, was number of franchise units 72, but we know that that is 86 and the number of franchise owners was 33. Has that number changed? No, that's accurate right now. There'll be, um, there'll be a few more that are that are in queue. We'll, we'll, we'll soon be at a hundred units. Maybe by the end of this year, we're on track for a hundred units by the end of this year. So I guess the point that I want to make is that in 86 total units, there's only three, 33 owners. So on average, like what with 2.5 locations per franchisee. Yeah. A little, little, a little higher than that. And, and if you look at you know, when a franchisee uh, becomes a partner, they, they, we establish an, an ADA or an area development agreement and that, that that's what I was saying before about what was their dream. Their dream was, you know, I came on board and I want to launch, you know, this market can support 10 tzatzikis. And so if they're two into 10, so really, if you look at, um, if you look at where we are and, and the full capacity of what our existing partners have signed up for, uh, that's what I'm really focusing on is helping them achieve the, the fullness of not just the units they have, um, but the total number of units that they, that they wanted to launch in their market. One more question for you before we move on. This is something I want to start asking all my guests. The mission statement here at Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform uh, the, the, the restaurant industry. So I want to know, how have you transformed from the person you were three years ago? Uh, what was it? 2016 when you came on? So uh, yeah, three years ago. How has Dan Simpson transformed? Man, such a great question. Um, I have, I told you before, curiosity has always driven me. Um, and at the same time, um, I think one of the realities that leaders don't talk about a lot, um, but it's just, it's, it's a reality is, is fear. When you step into a new role, it's scary. When you, when you're uh, set a big goal that you may, may not achieve, it takes some courage. Um, and so one of the things that I have learned is courage is not something that some people have and some people don't. Courage is something you do. Right. Mm. It's an action. And and that has been something that um, I think in many ways throughout my life, um, it was sort of percolating and I was proving that out without really putting words to it. In the last three years, uh, again, this was an unexpected journey for me, taking uh, transferable skill sets um, and moving them into the restaurant space and then finding um, and knowing that, you know, what, I don't really come from this this particular space, but I've been doing this work for decades. 
and being able to step forward um, with Keith and with the great executive team, surrounding myself with some great people and, and know that uh, if you care about people, if you make this about the people business first and you set some courageous plans that are, again, are, are benevolent uh, for the entire group, um, and then you lean into that work, it's still scary and it's, you're going to, you know, you're not, uh, it's not void of fear. And so the courage to, it takes courage to stay in relationship and stay connected. It takes courage to collaborate instead of just playing um, the power card, right? All of that is a different way of running a business. And a lot of people aren't used to that. So for me, the transformational thing has been, you know, again, finding, uh, finding more courage to do the hard things for the, for the, in a benevolent way for the whole system. Uh, and that we're being reminded that it isn't like some people got it and some people don't. It's, 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 you experience it when you do courage, when you, when you act in courage. Yeah. And I think you, you pointed on something regarding courage. That's really important when you make it uh, about being courageous for others and, right. and making it and put it, the attention on others and not yourself, uh, Courage comes much easier, I've found. When I'm nervous about a big interview, when I'm nervous about taking Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level, I remind myself that Restaurant Unstoppable isn't about me and Eric Cacciatore. It's about all the people who are listening. And when you make, when you put that that on other people and you take that attention off yourself, it becomes so much easier to be courageous. So I think I, I heard a little bit of that from you. So I just wanted to, to emphasize that. Awesome stuff. We're going to take a quick break one more time to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. So we're back, and uh, when we weren't recording, Dan dropped another really great uh, quote on us, and uh, referencing, I guess, I don't know, I'll, I'll let you take it. You'd probably be able to set it up better than I could. Yeah, I heard a great piece of uh, wisdom from a friend of mine who who kind of learned this uh, through recovery. And he said uh, about fear, right, which is that fear when you're in it looks really wide and looks really tall, but it's really thin and you can press right through it. It's just a great uh, encouragement for any of us, whether you are a line cook or a cashier or you're a ma- general manager or a franchisee or whatever role in the restaurant world you play. Like we all have challenging moments, scary moments, and even taking the next step in our career is always going to be scary because it's new territory, right? Never been there before. Um, and so it's such a great reminder of you can push right through that fear. Yeah. The other side is vitality. Yeah. And this is a compound off of being courageous and it's scary to be courageous. There's a lot of fear involved in being courageous, but it's all relative. It's, it's all a matter of perspective. And when you get out of the moment and you look at the big picture, like you said, you can push right through that narrow uh, cone of fear and awesome stuff. Great way to get this thing, uh, this, uh, the speed round going. So the first question I have for you is what is your, it's factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. 
Um, I would definitely say positive energy. I always think there is a way through. Mm. What is your biggest weakness? Um, I am told I move a little bit too fast. So setting pace is something I'm always really mindful of, especially in my new role. I love it. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? So in interviews, um, I always like to ask people like what their personal driving purpose is. And maybe equally important is what percentage of that do they expect to find at work versus Mm. home and other places? I love it. And what is your biggest challenge today? Well, people finding the right people recruitment, uh, finding enough great people is a a super challenge and something I'm really passionate about committed to uh, finding solutions for. How are you overcoming that that challenge? Well, we are launching a whole new initiative that leveraged some technology, but really focusing on how do we create some win-win. So whether with veterans or with first-generation Americans, whether they're immigrants or refugees, something we're very passionate about, um, special needs uh, youth is a group that we've uh, employed through our HOPE program. So finding maybe some unique pathways to people that are looking for jobs or a second career or a second chance. What is one code of conduct or behavior or even a core value you teach your team that you think is the most important? Well, I already talked about five core values, so I'll, I'll go a different direction. One thing is um, I like to say uh, clarity is uh, bigger or more important than hyperbole. Um, there's a lot of times when you're in the business, if you're in any kind of a management leadership role, you're in the business of solving problems. People come to you with a lot of challenges and problems, and it is very easy to get sucked into the drama uh, spiraling you know, uh, situation. Instead, shrink it down to its right size. Be as clear as you can. Clarity is you know, greater sign um, hyperbole. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your four walls, not common within the industry. So I alluded to this before, but um, really um, making uh, making the, the the farmers behind our food, like celebrating the ingredients and really even like naming the farms and naming the farmers uh, is something that uh, we have become more and more passionate about and bringing to the forefront with our, our staff in the restaurant. Beautiful. And what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Oh man, I love to read. Um, so this is a hard question, but you can listen I would to. say, <laughs> yeah, I would say I'll start with the, really the first book that I brought to the executive team at Tzatziki's, uh, which is conscious capitalism. Mm. Uh, it's an awesome book written by the, the co-founder of whole foods and an economist. It really lays out actually the first couple of chapters lays out a really great sort of manifesto for what we talked about before. Why, why does it so important to have your why and your what and your who and your where established? And they give you a great blueprint for how to do that. Okay. And um, did you say you wanted to list more than one? Because I'll let you. Oh, man. That's there, a good one. I'll let you. I'll let yeah, you. Another, another one is uh, The Advantage. Um is a is a great book you should uh you should you should look at but there's there's two okay Captain, the advantage awesome uh what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough okay so we talked a little bit about how you know the advent of off-premise dining right so here comes boom four walls to boom now we're doing all these other off-premise and so a lot of restaurateurs and even the tendency of tzatziki's has been to you prioritize the guests that's in front of you your dine-in guests above the off-premise guests. And I think that's upside down. It's a mistake. The guests in front of you, you can keep engaged and warm over with conversation with a with a beverage or something. Once the guests, once they're off-premise and they're in different locations, it's really hard. You don't have a chance to win them over, certainly in a relational way. So I think 
it's important for us. We're going to have to get comfortable with asking a guest right in front of us, which is hard to just wait a moment while we make sure we get this order out on time. Um, that's a real challenge, but I think it's a priority flip we're going to have to make. Awesome. And I had Ben Gaddis on the show and he, he alluded to this very thing you're talking about. And, uh, there is a ton of potential right now because of exactly what you said, where people do not go the extra mile for those folks at home. So if you are somebody who's willing to get, to get creative and willing to invest a little bit more to, to stand out in that delivery field, whether that's creating better packaging or doing something that shows you care, like a little note inside the box or like whatever you can do to stand out, which isn't hard right now because there's not a lot of people doing anything to stand out, then you can really take your delivery game up a level because there's just not a lot of innovation in that vertical. Uh, but that's changing fast, so don't wait much longer. Heard. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge influence on operations? Now, we formed a great partnership with uh, Square POS. Um, we've moved to really prioritizing an ecosystem, a tech ecosystem kind of above all else. And so Square plus Yes to Go Technologies um, and Fresh's proprietary back of house, that has become a unified ecosystem. And Square's um, a younger tablet-based company, uh, inexpensive, but they have some great uh, tools built into there in terms of the data analytics, um, email marketing, uh, the rewards program, which we embedded actually into our app. So there's a lot, they're, they're offering a lot for little, and we find them to be uh, like us, uh, a, a very eager entrepreneurial company who is very collaborative. Yeah. And Square was a platform that I used to recommend for very simple operations uh, because it was a very simple solution, but it's still very simple operate or simple to use solution, but it, it is becoming more and more robust. I'm finding, and they, they are taking it to the next level. They are investing a lot into scaling that segment of their operations. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, and this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Whew, I'm ready. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity. What would they be? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'll recap some we talked about. Whatever business you're in, whatever your vocation, your chosen work, remember it's all about people. We're all in the people business. That's number one. one. Yeah. Um, number two, uh, without farmers, we don't have any food. So let's celebrate our farmers. Um, and the number three is celebrate the success stories. Um, we, something new we're doing is all the people that start as a dishwasher or a line cook. And today they're a manager or even a local owner. Amazing stories of starting at the bottom and rising up to success that is incredibly rewarding because we don't want to just give jobs, provide jobs. We really want to provide career paths. Um, and to be able to actually do that is incredibly rewarding. Awesome. So those three, again, it's all about the people celebrate farmers and celebrate success stories. Dan, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one restaurant professional, somebody that you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show, man. I think, uh, my friend Jake Brewer, who, uh, works with the Carl's Jr. and Hardy's brands, uh, leading a lot of innovation for them, is one of the smartest and biggest, hardest guys 
uh, I've ever met and think he would be a great addition to your community. Jake Brewer, look out. I'm coming after you and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if we've listened to this and we're interested maybe in the Tzatziki's franchise or we just want to ask some questions. What's the best way to connect? Well, um, start with tzatzikiscafe.com is a great place to go to learn about the brand and what we're all about. If you are interested in becoming a franchisee and joining joining us, um, go to growwithtzatzikis.com and uh, look forward to connecting with, with many of you. And I believe this is, hold on, I got to double check. I forgot what episode number this is. I like to, we'll take two seconds. Sorry. Pretty sure I said that. That's what editing's for. Yep. Sorry, Jared. Uh-huh. Jared's editing us right now. He's, gra- he's shaking his head at us. Two <laughs> seconds. Almost there, Jared. This is episode 616. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 616. You'll find a summary of today's discussion as, long, as well as a link to any tools, books, or resources that were mentioned. And again, Dan Simpson, thank you so much. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.